0: When developer Robert Brindle arrived in Chicago from California in 1973, he had an innovative idea, an indoor entertainment and shopping experience under one roof, enjoyable all year long. Instead of having two or three anchor stores, those big stores at the end of the mall that help pull you there, and then maybe you'll visit the smaller stores nearby, his idea was that the big draw wouldn't be large department stores, but an amusement park in the center of the building. I'm Tommy Henry, host of the Chicago History Podcast. On this episode, we're going to discuss Old Chicago Amusement Park in Bolingbrook, Illinois, a long-gone relic of the 70s that has served as a cautionary tale to developers for more than 40 years. This episode's topic was suggested by listener Tom Kutzer. Thanks, Tom. Honestly, I didn't think there would be much interest in this until I asked around and found out there are a lot of people who know very little about old Chicago. For reference, Bolingbroke is approximately 35 miles southwest of downtown Chicago. Back to Robert Brindle. Brindle had previous success bringing a similar concept to the Old Town Mall a few years earlier in 1972 in Torrance, California, about 20 miles south of Los Angeles. An article about the Chicago Project in the April 7th, 1974 Los Angeles Times referred to it as a $40 million project. In the early stages, the project was called Old Chicago Town. Town has an E at the end, like it's old timey. Uh, with the architectural theme said to have been borrowed from the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition, also held in Chicago. Just before the eventual opening, a notice went up in local newspapers on behalf of Old Chicago looking for, quote, people who participated in or remember the 1893 Columbian Exposition, end quote. As Old Chicago's opening was 82 years after the exposition occurred, I can't imagine response was strong. In a May 1974 Tribune article in the Real Estate section, Milton Paul, the vice president of National Research Bureau, a marketing research company that compiled a publication called the Shopping Center Directory, had this to say. I think before developers are going into these things, they pretty well know what they're doing, Paul observed. I think the consumers are asking for this. In February of 1975, the classified section in local newspapers carried an ad that read, Wanted singing or banjo-strumming security guards over six foot four inches tall who'd rather carry a tune than a gun to patrol and perform at Old Chicago. There's more to this Help Wanted ad you can read on the Chicago History Podcast social media sites, but I must say I've been around a lot of musicians most of my adult life. Most of these musicians are not six foot four, and the ones that are don't play banjo. Tall request to be sure. Also in 1975, there were want ads posted in newspapers for, and I'm going to read this one in its entirety. Wanted, daring maiden for spectacular TV commercial atop Old Chicago's domed roof 17 stories up. Note three exclamation points after that. If you are over 21, intelligent, athletic, daring, voluptuous, an aspiring actress or model and do not suffer from acrophobia, you may be selected for heavenly, heavenlies in quotes, TV commercial film from helicopter. Commercial will introduce Old Chicago, the first completely enclosed combination theme park. 200-store and restaurant shopping attraction, opening May 1975. For interview, please send a letter or resume to Boots LeBaron, care of Old Chicago. Uh, With a name like Boots LeBaron, you just know I did a deep dive to find out all about him. That's another great story you can find on the Chicago History Podcast social media pages. In May of 1975, Associated Press ran stories nationwide showing 18-year-old Michelle Moth from Bolingbrook, Illinois, tap-dancing on top of the dome in a Chorus Girls outfit while a helicopter filmed her from above. I get queasy looking over a third-floor railing, so just talking about this makes me a little shaky. Cost overruns, a strike, and a late-season 10-inch snowfall all contributed to the proposed opening date getting pushed back to June of that year. But on Tuesday, June 17, 1975, a pre-opening party at Old Chicago snarled traffic in the area for miles as 10 to 16,000 invited guests tried to make their way to this new 500,000-square-foot attraction on 11 acres of land. Four days later, at 10 a.m. on Saturday, June 21st, 1975, Old Chicago opened its doors to the general public, a half mile south of Interstate 55 and Route 53. The final cost at opening is said to have been $24 million, approximately $124.6 million in today's money, $6 million over the planned $18 million cost. It was written the parking lot could accommodate 6,910 cars, and there was a tram to bring people to the entrance from the farthest areas of the lot. Outside the entrance, two lions meant to resemble those at Chicago's Art Institute were on either side of the door welcoming visitors. Inside Old Chicago claimed to be climatized to 73 degrees year-round. The shopping area of the complex had a cobblestone floor meant to resemble a brick street from the early 1900s, illuminated by actual gas light poles from Chicago. The park's mascot, Mayor Charlie Baffle, wandered the halls. I've looked at the picture of Charlie Baffle a couple times. I have no idea what kind of creature he's supposed to be. Inside was a 600-seat vaudeville theater with six stage shows a day. Attendance on the weekends for the first few months was said to be 50,000 visitors. One of the first Wendy's locations in the entire Chicago area was at Old Chicago, opening in August of 1975. In September of 1975, well, It looks like I spoke too soon earlier because it was reported in the Greenwood, Mississippi Commonwealth newspaper that 71-year-old Sally Rand was brought in from her home in California to do the ostrich feather fan dance that made her so popular at the 1933 Chicago World's Fair. She returned in November of that year to perform on the vaudeville stage. In October of 1975, 19-year-old Mark Vanek and 18-year-old Pamela Cobb of Woodridge, Illinois, were married while riding in the front car of the Loop Coaster by Reverend Frank Schaefer, who rode in the car behind them. Their wedding party was also along for the ride as the coaster hit speeds of 75 miles an hour and did two 360-degree turns. In late November 1975, Old Chicago opened the $1 million Mansion of Horrors, a haunted house that was open until midnight on the weekends. To help promote the event, they flew horror movie icon Vincent Price in to appear. Also in November, an official U.S. post office was opened at Old Chicago, offering full U.S. postal services. On Sunday, November 30th, 1975, 56-year-old veteran trapeze artist Jimmy Troy, the comedy king of the air, was performing at Old Chicago 20 feet off the ground without a net in front of approximately 800 people. As was part of his act, he feigned falling and losing his grip before pulling himself back up. Sadly, this night he lost his grip and fell for real, landing on his head, breaking his neck, and dying instantly. The stunned crowd, many of them children, were quickly ushered away from the scene. For as many problems as Old Chicago had in 1975, attendance was placed at about 2 million visitors during the first year of operation. In January of 1976, it was announced that Robert Brindle, visionary of the Old Chicago concept, was out as day-to-day overseer and replaced by one of the financial backers of the project. This was six months after opening, and it was reported at the time that stores were only 76% occupied. In April of 1976, a full-page ad in the Chicago Tribune promoted Old Chicago as quote a great new indoor shopping center. The storefronts are from another era, but what's inside those stores defies description. Some things are old, some things are new, and all are unique. You'll find cigars being rolled by hand, homemade fudge, fine jewelry, gifts, and more than a hundred specialty shops. In truth, there were stores like Silver Spirit Authentic American Indian Jewelry, Thomas Oregon Studio, Nuts and Stuff. They sold nuts. Neck and Neck, a uh, scarf and tie store. Custa's Nuttery. Yes, another place that sold nuts. And so on. You can see why return shoppers may not have been flocking to Old Chicago. Speaking of flocks, there was a pet store there with the unfortunate name Old Chicago Stockyards. Apparently, no one told the person who named the store that stockyards are where animals are kept before being slaughtered. In May of 1976, Marriott's Great America, later Six Flags Great America, opened in Gurnee, Illinois, less than 60 miles from Bolingbrook and only slightly farther from downtown Chicago than Old Chicago was. Great America was and still is an outdoor amusement park with more rides that was not reliant on stores to bring in visitors. Also in 1976, various Miss Teenager pageants were held at Old Chicago, and even a photo opportunity with Morris the Cat, the Nine Lives cat food star who posed for pictures for $2 each to promote Adopt-A-Cat Month, took place, with proceeds going to the TLC Animal Shelter in Orland Park, Illinois. Less than one year after opening, the owners filed for bankruptcy protection, hoping to reorganize. Secured creditors would be paid $0.73 cents on the dollar of what was owed to them, and unsecured creditors would get $0.65. Cents. As part of the reorganization, a company called IC Industries took over. IC brought in Dallas-based Win Enterprises, which was headed by the man who created Six Flags Amusement Parks in Georgia, Texas, and Missouri. With a $6 million investment, new rides and attractions were added, and the number of stores was reduced to about 160, with retailers grouped together based on their merchandise. The ongoing problem of all those rides, performers, and crowds in a building that hadn't been soundproofed was also addressed using 1.25 million square feet of soundproofing material, that's enough to cover 27 football fields, which cut access noise by 50 to 65%. In late August 1977, director Brian De Palma, riding high off the success of Carey, shot scenes for his film The Fury at Old Chicago, which involved the roller coaster crashing through the window of the beer garden. I don't believe I've seen the film, but I hear the Old Chicago segment is about two minutes long. De Palma would go on to direct Scarface, the first Mission Impossible film with Tom Cruise, and The Untouchables with Kevin Costner and Sean Connery, also shot here in Chicago. The revitalized Old Chicago opened in early 1978, but response was soft. Attendance that year was around 900,000, roughly the same as in 1977, and far below the 2 million from the first full year of visitors, and significantly fewer than the 6 million visitors Robert Brindle predicted before the park opened. By that point, the Mansion of Horrors was no longer operating. In contrast, Great America boasted 2.75 million visitors in 1978. To their credit, it appears those running old Chicago tried many ways to get people to come to the park in 1979, including Starfest, a 12-day festival of live music, dancing, puppet shows, aerobatics, World War II precision flying, fireworks, and a hot air balloon race. During the winter of 1979 into 1980, the entire property was only open Friday nights, Saturdays, and Sundays to avoid sustaining more operating losses during the week, which likely caused even more small shops to pull up stakes for other locations. By February of 1980, the retail portion of Old Chicago, once covering 198,000 square feet of leasable area, was reduced to 70,000 square feet. Remaining merchant shops were grouped close to the entrance, with the areas containing vacant shops closed off. Most of the, quote, independent shops carried more souvenir-type merchandise. The number of open stores at that time, 40. In March of 1980, the amusement park closed, although some retail shops remained. In May of 1980, it was announced that Old Chicago would be redeveloped into the Mid-America Factory Outlet Mall. Weber, Cohn, and Riley, the advertising agency and a partner in the new venture, claimed 35 manufacturers were considering leasing space in the new mall, with the expectation that someday 100 stores would be open, selling mainly name-brand clothing at 25 to 75% below retail. Most of the rides would be taken out except for the Ferris wheel, the 70-foot fountain, and a few smaller rides, which would remain in the atrium. The space that used to contain other rides would be converted to retail space. Alas, the facility once again went bankrupt, the second time in five years, in August of 1980, and Old Chicago remained shuttered. By April 1981, Old Chicago remained in foreclosure, and the proposed Mid-America factory outlet had not moved forward when its option to purchase expired. According to the spokesman for the buyers, the opening was delayed because of, quote, the amount of work that had to be done in signing up tenants, end quote. Most of the rides had been sold off, except for the Ferris wheel and one roller coaster, and only 10, yes, 10 tenants remained. Much like even before the mall opened, when classified ads promoted franchise opportunities for cotton candy and popcorn stands, after the mall closed, the classified ads contained ones offering display cases, counters, and cash registers from failed old Chicago shops. When IC tried unsuccessfully to auction the by then fully empty property in 1982, the suggested opening bid was $5.2 million. No registered bidders showed up. In addition to the outlet mall idea, other ideas floated for the property included a casino, a hospital, sports complex, a racetrack. There was even a glimmer of hope that the People's Republic of China, who had come through the area to survey sites for a soy sauce factory, might step up and make a bid. In March of 1983, the Home Building Institute, a Chicago building skills school, optioned the site with plans to build the world's largest permanent building products exhibition center, a, quote, cross between a national home show and the merchandise mart. That did not come to pass. In June of 1984, Bolingbrook Village officials once again got their hopes up when a 34-year-old developer from Springfield, Missouri named C.L. Carr signed a contract to buy the property with the intention of turning it into a live music venue. One month later, in July of 1984, Carr was found guilty in federal court in Fayetteville, Arkansas of two counts of aiding and abetting a bank officer in misapplying funds from a bank in Harrison, Arkansas. According to the news reports at the time, Carr convinced friends to apply for loans and give the money to him, which went delinquent very soon after. By January of 1986, portions of the parking lot were being sectioned off for use by auto dealers. In the end, there were no last-minute saviors, and on February 3rd, 1986, the wrecking ball swung on Old Chicago. In May of 1987, plans were submitted to the village's planning commission for the land that once contained Old Chicago to become the site of a car and truck wholesaler with an estimated $20 million in construction and 200 new jobs, with the first phase to be completed by November of 1987. In November 2019, the Mannheim Arena Illinois Auto Auction Center, whose address was 200 Old Chicago Drive, shut down. And in January of 2020, Amazon bought the land for $50.5 million with plans to build a distribution center. Fun fact, the Chicago Loop, the much-beloved Old Chicago Corkscrew roller coaster, is still in use as of May 2020, now known as the Kenobi Corkscrew at Kenobi Lake Park, an amusement park in Salem, New Hampshire. It was not, as some have claimed, the first Corkscrew coaster in the country. That was the Corkscrew coaster at Knott's Berry Farm in California, which beat out the Chicago Loop for that title by two weeks. Many feel Old Chicago didn't work because there were no big anchor stores of the day like Sears or JCPenney, and the small stores that were there were unimpressive and repetitive. The rides were not thrilling, those horrible initial traffic jams to get in, the noise from lack of soundproofing, and of course, competition from Great America. It was likely all those factors. No matter what, Old Chicago is an interesting part of Chicago history. Robert Brindle, the man with the vision, died in 2005 at the age of 86. I'll be posting pictures, ads, and stories that didn't make the cut on the Chicago History Podcast Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Do you have memories of shopping, going on rides, or seeing shows at Old Chicago? Feel I missed something or have additional questions about things discussed in the episode? maybe you have a topic you think might be a good fit for a future episode of the Chicago History Podcast. If so, send me an email at Pod at gmail.com. Thanks as always to John K. Schneider for creating the Chicago History Podcast logo and the art used on the social media pages. He can be found at angeleyesartjks on Instagram or via email at jschneider152 at gmail.com. As always, like, subscribe, and review this podcast kindly, and tell a friend. It helps us get the word out and reach new history fans. Get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in, and stay safe. Thanks for listening.